Welcome to Muse Unseen, the podcast on how creatives do business. This is Zoe Omega. And I am Claire Michelle. Thank you all so much for listening today. Today we have Mixed Pucks of Plenty. Mixed Pucks of Plenty is a burlesque producer with a whole lot of passion and a whole lot of drive. Mixed Pucks of Plenty produces a variety of shows, including the BIPOC Festival, What the Funk. In this episode, we talk about what it takes to produce an event, what it takes to move from a simple weekend production to a full-fledged festival, and how Pux is navigating this COVID crisis and the event production side of it all. This is a really cool episode. It was really, really nice and uh, calming and insightful. We hope you enjoy this one. And without further ado, let's bring in Mixed Box of Plenty. Hello. 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 Let me How fix my camera. Today? I am exhausted. Normally I'm up before six, but it was really hot last night. Oh yeah, I know. We had our AC blasting like all night. It get it gets uh, like only uh, to about eighty or ninety degrees in Seattle. And last yesterday it was like nearly a hundred degrees. And I think everybody, including you, apparently, were like, this is not, this is not right. <laughs> no. We're out in the suburbs, thank God. Like, we're out in Renton, so it's not tragically awful, but it was pretty hot last night. So we all slept downstairs. Oh, yeah, in the basement? Yeah, good idea. <laughs> so uh, you live in Renton, but you yes. do work in Seattle. That's quite yes. a hike. How do you make that hike worth it? Well, I mean, I have a car because I don't live in Seattle. So that's the only way it would work. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, and sometimes it's not worth it at all, but it's worth yeah. it for other reasons. Yeah, for sure. I know. It's ex- I live up here in Seattle and it's, it is expensive. So there are benefits, but one of those benefits is I don't have a car and that's how I make it work. So there are times when I really wish, oh, I really wish I did not have to rent a car to get somewhere outside of the city. <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. So, um, so tell us about yourself. Um, who are you? What do you do? And uh, what is your, what is your um, main source of income then? So um, I am Mixed Pucks of Plenty, and I do a lot of things, but I think the thing I'm most known for uh, right now is burlesque performing and producing in Seattle. I am the uh, founder and co-producer of the Pacific Northwest's first all people of color burlesque festival called What the Funk. And um, I'm a full-time artist, full-time mom uh, and a full-time artist. That is what I do. Nice. So how did you transition from burlesque to producer? Um. It was actually pretty easy. <laughs> like, um, so my background before burlesque has uh, been rooted in like event planning um, about like almost two years before I got into burlesque um, like seriously. I had um, helped uh, produce two burlesque uh, cabaret shows for the Center for Sex Positive Culture in Seattle. So I had some like 
minor connection to the community, but not really. Um, one of my good friends, she was the one that was most connected to the burlesque community. So she booked all the burlesque performers and I just made sure that everything was in an order that made sense. And I was the one communicating with the venue and communicating with the volunteers. Um, but I actually didn't get started producing until like, like really kind of getting into it uh, would have been fall of 2017. I um, started co-producing with two people from my Burlesque 101 uh, program. Um, we were called Booty Magic Burlesque. And that was kind of the, the start of producing like in the actual burlesque community and not being an outsider, you know, booking burlesque performers. How did you learn how to produce? Did anybody reach out and kind of show you the ropes or was it something that you picked up along the way? So I already had like event planning skills, but um, burlesque producing is a little bit different. So I was really fortunate that right around the time I like decided, okay, this is really what I want to do. Um, BurleyCon was happening um, a few weeks before our first show and there were a couple of production classes happening. And BurleyCon is a uh, nonprofit burlesque education um, conference that happens in the Seattle area every year. It's like a four day conference. It's really intense. And so I dedicated myself that BurleyCon to taking every production class there, there was. And so I uh, actually took a class from a local uh, burlesque producer here, Jojo Stiletto. And uh, it's probably the, the best thing I've, I've ever done. She's very methodical and has like a really good system. And so it helped me really feel more confident in my ability to produce actual burlesque content. What do you think you learned from those classes that you may have not uh, otherwise learned just by doing events and producing events? Just organization was like huge. The, uh, so making sure that you have all the information that you need in one place that you can get to it easier. I mean, I know it seems like it would make sense, but it makes sense. And it was just like I had started kind of like a mild love affair with Google Docs. But after taking those production classes, like like it was a full on like relationship with Google Docs. It makes things so much easier. Zoe and I use Google Docs to like go back and forth with all these things. And every single person who works with me is like, we use Google Docs. This is what we're doing now. <laughs> so great. I love it. I love it. Um, Zoe, did you have another question? I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering in your, your productions, you are all about inclusion. Um, you mentioned recently in an interview that it's not about asking for a seat at the table, it's about creating your own table. And I was wondering if you could talk about that and how you bring that to your own producing. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've noticed uh, fairly frequently is that uh, folks seem to think that uh, BIPOC individuals, especially Black folks that were incapable of creating um, like governing bodies that were incapable of creating our own organizations that we um, need someone else to start them for us and then offer us uh, tables or offer us seats at their tables as opposed to 
here are the resources that we were going to use to create this thing. We're giving it to you because we know that you are smart enough and capable enough and that you know what needs to be done in order to make this happen. There feels like there's a little bit of a um, infantizing of, of black folks. And it's really interesting to me because it feels like folks kind of want it both ways. Um, that they think that, you know, black folks um, aren't oppressed, that the system is e equal and even, but then in the same breath, they infantize us and make us feel like we're not capable of doing it. So if that not feeling capable of doing it is a real feeling, a real sensation that people are picking up off of us, then it would suggest that things aren't equal then. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that I think about quite a bit. It really kind of gets under my skin. Um, what the Funk uh, is a prime example of creating my own table. Um, when I got started in burlesque, I was definitely tokenized at first because I'm a pretty pleasant uh, person to be around. And there's always kind of the struggle to diversify your shows and folks feeling like there's not enough uh, black performers and uh, performers of color to go around. So you can get tokenized pretty quickly when you first get started. And there seems to be kind of a, there's definitely a hierarchy to, to the Seattle burlesque scene, but there definitely feels like they, these are some of the steps that you take in order to be recognized as a performer. And a lot of those are performing in specific shows and with specific producers. And uh, I was approached about a show and it's a classic show and I, I hadn't done classic yet, but I really wanted to do a classic burlesque act to uh, Stevie Wonder's Superstitious. And I was told that it did not fit within the uh, parameters of what is considered classic music. And so it wouldn't be something that this particular show would be interested in. And I said, okay. And so I sat with that feeling for a while and it kind of made me mad uh, that like, Funk is classic music. Stevie Wonder is classic. Yeah. So um, I sat with that feeling and I said, you know what? I really want to do a show that uses all funk music. Like that's what's going to happen. And then this thought popped in my head. I said, what if this show was all people of color? And so what the funk actually started as like a two night show at the rendezvous. And it was a protest. Like it's a beautiful show and it's gorgeous and um, our headliner um, our first run out was Spice who is this amazing uh, black performer um, here in Seattle um, she's an atomic bombshell she's an instructor she's she's all the things um, and doesn't really get I think the uh, respect and uh, you know the love um, from our burlesque community as a whole, like she should. Um, she's been out here for a long time. And so it was really important to me to have her as a headliner for the show. Um, but it was a protest. Like mm -hmm. you don't want our music. You don't really book all of us all together. You know, this is, we're just gonna do what we wanna do. And um, at the end of that show, I made a promise that I would bring it back as a festival the next year. And at this point, I had a um, little over a year of experience in the Seattle burlesque community when I made this promise to go from a two-night show to an actual full-on festival. Didn't know quite how I was going to do it, but I knew that I knew that I needed to do it. 
And so that is how you start. Go how ahead. Do you, how do you make that a reality? How do you make a two night show turn into a, a festival? Like I'm a person that just like, if I decide I'm going to do something like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's I'm going to do it. Like it's just, it's <laughs> happening. And I think the more that folks were telling me, no, I shouldn't, you know, or like maybe you should think about this a little bit more. Like the more people were kind of doing that, the more I dug my heel heels in. And one of the things I started asking folks when they were saying things like that, I'm like, okay, but are you personally willing to help make sure that doesn't happen? Yeah. And, you know, some folks, they're like, you know, touche, and put their hands up and walk away. And other folks were like, you know what, that's, you're right. Um, and I feel really fortunate and blessed that um, Rebecca Davis, who's my co-producer, um, she reached out to me uh, about seven, seven to eight months into me uh, before the festival is actually going to happen and was like, Hey, do you need some help? And I'm like, I think I do. And she's like, I got you. And so that really helped. But um, really it's your team is important. The people that you surround yourself with, because like none of this stuff happens in a vacuum. Well, anyway, um, and as someone that grew up doing group projects by myself, cause I couldn't trust other people to do their part of the assignment. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's really hard um, as an adult to just be like, I, I'm better now than I was at like, you know, 12 and recognizing who actually is here to help and who, and who yeah. isn't, you know? Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we just had a conversation with a fellow collaborator, Zoe and I work with somebody else. And, um, and we've, we're still new to the relationship. So we were all kind of just trying to figure out, you know, where we all fit and exactly what you're saying about that personal responsibility. Sometimes it really does just like take a moment to say like, look, we have been working together for a while now are you willing to take on this project, you know, and actually handle that responsibility? Are you willing to go the next step with us? And knowing where everybody lies in the relationship is such a strength because something that I've recently learned is that like, not knowing where somebody stands in the relationship, everybody's nervous to step on another person's toes and you have to be upfront and you have to be willing if you're the, reciprocant in that project to say yeah let's do this thing because as I think we're all learning is that like we can't do it as a we can't do it alone we really need to grow as like a group and you know build each other up and create you know the world that we want to see as artists absolutely so how have you been able to transition post lockdown post pandemic i you've put on some you've been a part of some amazing shows and i just have loved how resilient you've been yeah the uh, start of the pandemic i mean i kind of remember exactly where i was when like like it really hit the fan um i believe it was like march 13th or so mm-hmm. um and the only reason why I remember that very, very clearly is that was the weekend that uh, the noir pageant was happening in New York, which is a um, BIPOC burlesque pageant, um, which was a big deal for the BIPOC community. Um, 
burlesque community and uh, freezing tassels which is a burlesque festival that happens in alaska so both of these things were happening kind of simultaneously as they were locking things down um and the last show i performed in was march 10th and i just remember thinking as they were rolling out the social distancing um policies and like kind of looking at all that i was like we're, we're screwed that live entertainment in seattle is screwed and that the burlesque community is going to get hit like the hardest burlesque and drag especially um and i was pretty pretty depressed and pretty down very quickly um and getting very irritated <laughs> with other folks who weren't understanding the gravity of what was about to happen and i think mm -hmm. um i come from there's the joke of uh are you well adjusted or are you funny? And uh, I'm hilarious. And it's just like, as someone that has suffered trauma, who has seen things fall apart very, very quickly, um, who just kind of has a read for like, this is not, this is not something that we should, like, this is something that we should actually be worried about. Um, I knew that it was going to be bad. It just didn't smell right. Things didn't look right. It was definitely not normal. And um, yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I had people messaging me a few weeks in just saying, well, you know, you could pivot to doing stuff digitally. And I said, no, absolutely not. It's not, that's not as easy as you think it is. And no. Uh, so I was kind of on the train of thought, like a lot of burlesque performers, non-drag performers, that we were just SOL until venues opened up because of music, every, uh, with copyrights and stuff like that, like we were putting ourselves in a position of maybe being attacked after pandemic, you know, like your, your video, your thing pops up on the right person's radar and then all of a sudden you're getting a cease and desist, which that's pretty, pretty much the extent of it, unless you keep pushing at it, but it's still pretty scary to receive a cease and desist on some fancy legal paperwork, especially if you're a small time yeah. producer. So it just made me really nervous. And um, a good friend of mine in early April was just like, hey, boo, I want to do a burlesque show digitally. And I was like, ew. <laughs> and she's like, okay, okay, but hear me out. I'm like, fine. And she's like, she's like, I got a band. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, now I'm, in, I'm like, I'm in, I'm interested. Tell me more. Yeah. And she goes, well, that's all I got right now. And I'm like, well, let's sit down and figure out like the actual logistics said, you know, I don't want to produce this. I'm like, but I need to know the ins and outs of how this is going to work. And I will help you figure that out. So we sat down with the band. We sat down with the potential performers. We worked out um, all of the like policies that we wanted our audience to know um, how to make sure, like, how to make sure we cut out the possibility of, like, Zoom bombing, because that was really big, uh, people popping into um, people's Zoom meetings and being inappropriate. I wanted to make sure that we kind of uh, had some procedures in place for that, uh, walking through how to actually do tech in Zoom. Um, we learned very quickly that you can plug music directly into Zoom, which is really nice. Um, but that was the only way that I was going to do it. And I was, again, like I wasn't co-producing. I wasn't producing. I was a performer. And I told her, I'm like, look, 
I have to know how this works before we do it. So I ended up taking on local band of Seattle, uh, General Mojo's. They were an absolute delight. They let us have access to um, one of their albums and uh, that made it so much easier because they're giving us permission to use their music. And so we did about three shows with them, but that format that I helped create with them was something that I was able to use and apply to some other shows that I've done. Um, I don't really have the, the luxury of like um, not being resilient. Like um, I just don't, I'm a full-time artist. I have a child with special needs and I am, for lack of a better word, like the matriarch of my house. Um, So if I am down and not, not, not creating, not doing the things that bring me joy, it affects so many other people. And it's not about like faking joy or, or anything like that. It's just, if mama's happy, the whole house is happy. And that was something that I ended up taking very seriously during this pandemic because this is not normal. We should not, uh, we should not get used to it. We should not, there's, it's, it's really hard to get used to something that is constantly evolving and changing. And um, I just, I don't know any other way to be, but the way that I am. And like, I wasn't, I'm not in a position to let the pandemic take away everything from me personally and take away something that other folks love. Um, if there's a way for us to do it, I'm going to figure it out. We, uh, we had to do something similar. We have an event as well called Transaction. And our goal is to blend musicians and artists and put them in the same room so they can find ways to work together. Of course, we can't do that because of COVID. Well, we, uh, we also had to take a step back and say the same thing that you're saying. How do we make this actually happen? And like you, you know, we considered um, going outside, you know, to different like outdoor venues and things like that. But ultimately, we have experience in video. And people told us the exact same thing where we were like, you know, go to video, do that. And um, it is harder. It's much, much harder than people realize. And like, you know, Zoe and I just had a phone call on Friday and I was like, you know, I'm gonna have to create a shooting script for everybody. There's so much that's gonna go into this, even though it's a small crew, there's still things that need to be handled and, you know, addressed before you can even have people in the same room with you. Absolutely. and, you know, we are going the video route, but we have experience in video. People who don't, like yourself, who are, you know, or trying to, um, you know, uh, create an event from a different perspective or even a festival, right? They're in a, you, you especially are in a very difficult position right now. And I'm really proud of you for finding ways to make it happen because there are a few other projects of mine who I, I haven't quite figured out yet. So good on you. You've got to be able to pivot um, and pivoting is hard. And again, because it's, this is my, my stream of income. It's, I, I know that folks are, um, are watching me and they're like, Hey, you should slow down. You should do this. You should do that. And I'm just like, I wasn't making, making any money to, uh, you know, to actually get uh, like 
unemployment benefits, like strictly full-time, like right as this all started, I was actually getting everything, all the ducks in a row to make sure that production was, you know, on the up and up and Mm -hmm. everything was looking good. And like, it's like, I hate hustle mentality, um, but like my hustle game is strong. Like, you know, like, and that's just what it is. Like, I, like, I don't create things that I don't think people want to see. So I think that's kind of important too, like knowing, still knowing what my market is, but like, I have to, I have to employ folks and I have to um, keep creating. And it's, it's disheartening because a lot of folks aren't able to pivot with this either through, you know, their living situation. They don't have space to do filming. Um, Money is a, it's a big deal. Like purchasing a ring light, purchasing, you know, different types of lights, um, purchasing things to get your space the way that you want it so that you can present, you know, your content. It's Mm -hmm. hard Then editing this stuff. Um, That's a piece of it that like is, does not come naturally to me. And I feel really fortunate there. I have folks around me that that's their jam. And so I'm able to record a bunch of random stuff and like, Hey, I trust you to put this together in a way that makes sense. And I can kind of walk away from that project, but like, a lot of folks aren't in that position and it definitely um, definitely puts a magnifying glass even even closer to the divide that is in um, a lot of in the arts um, and just kind of in our society in general this is definitely disproportionately affecting you know BIPOC um, in a way that um, I want to hope is recoverable, but I'm not quite sure how, how we recover as an art, as an arts community in general, but definitely with our, our BIPOC folks, how do we help them recover? I think we're going to see a big, uh, like resurgence of art as time goes on with this COVID thing. So hang out hope. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, we have one more question, Zoe. Yeah. What are three pieces of advice you would give to other burlesque producers? If you are a white producer, I implore you um, to um, diversify your shows. Um, I implore you to do the work, do the homework, do the research, especially if you're producing uh, right now digitally. You have... um, less excuse than normal (laughs) to um, diversify your shows. And if you're really struggling with that, I would also suggest another piece of advice is don't take up the market share right now um, and reach out to BIPOC um, producers and utilize your mailing list, utilize what you have to help elevate um, and put a spotlight on BIPOC producers um, who are out here doing the work right now. And the last piece of advice I would give to um, producers of color um, or those who are thinking about producing who are of color, make sure that you um, put in the work to find sponsorship for your shows. And it could be really scary 
but I, I can't recommend it enough. Learning the structure of how to do the ask, learning how to um, put that information into a couple different types of documents so that you can send it to folks. It makes the world a difference. Um, having some sponsorship and it really allows you a little bit more freedom to pay performers more and to um, kind of have those extra bells and whistles for your performers, like bringing in a photographer, bringing in a videographer, um, things like that. But I can't stress sponsorship enough. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And so where can we find you online? <sighs> I am all over. Um, Instagram is probably the most... Uh, up to date all the time. Um, and that's at pucks aplenty, um, on the Facebook it's, uh, at MX pucks aplenty. You can visit my website, mixpucksaplenty.com. Um, and yeah, if you're interested in what we're doing, you want to throw money at what we're doing. The best way to do that is to visit, uh, the Mix Pucks of Plenty uh, website and go to the donation button there and they'll tell you all about um, our um, fiscal, or we're fiscally sponsored by Shen Pike. So that's pretty dope. So any donations that you make to us is a tax write-off. So I definitely invite you to, to look into that and, uh, and to donate often. Set yourself up on a reoccurring donation with us um production is worth it i i'll tell you it is thank you so much for being here and thank you for taking the time to uh, talk with us today it was really insightful to hear everything that you had to say about some of the things with the covid and just kind of how you're navigating the world so thanks absolutely thank you for having me thanks thank you have a great day you too bye bye, -bye. this has been muse and scene the podcast on how creatives do business i'm zillia omega I'm Claire Michelle. Thank you all so much for listening. You can find us at MuseUnseen.com on Facebook, Muse Unseen, or Twitter at Muse Unseen. And I would like to thank our sponsor, Tidal Artist Haven, who is letting us use their Zoom to record. Tidal Artist Haven is an art cooperative in North Seattle that focuses on LGBTQIA+. BIPOC and disabled creatives. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Title Artist Haven, and we will see you next month. Take care. Goodbye.